Hey, if you have your Bible, why don't you open it up? I'm going to have you turn over to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles this morning. And I felt in keeping with Thanksgiving, I just had this on my heart to share a little bit with you about giving thanks, giving thanks. Second Chronicles, <clears throat> see thankfulness is an automatic position of humility. When we are thankful, when we find something about our situation to become thankful for, we position ourselves and posture ourselves in a place of humility, a place where God is able to speak to us, a place where we're teachable, a place where we're pliable, you know, because rebellion, how many of you know, doesn't help us? It doesn't help us, yeah, <laughs> not at all. I've been in that place of rebellion, running the opposite direction when I needed to run directly into the arms of Jesus, when I needed to be willing to admit, I don't know everything. I don't have that answer. It was freeing to me when I realized when I would get into counseling situations where if somebody asked me a question and I didn't know the answer, it was okay to say, I don't know the answer, but I tell you what, I'll get in the word of God and he'll give us the answer. Just like Moses did. Many times they would come to Moses with questions and Moses didn't know the answer either. What did he do? He went to the Lord in prayer. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. He was always in that posture, in that place of humility. Well, thankfulness, we're automatically in that place of humility when we're thankful. Wow. That's a good place to be. So I want to look at a few things here with Thanksgiving. You know, <clears throat> sometimes we have to look for things to be thankful for in our situation. You know, where <clears throat> maybe your situation this Thanksgiving was not a good situation. And maybe you had difficulty finding something to be thankful for. One of the traditions that we have at our house is every Thanksgiving that we meet together and we sit around the table and they pull out all that wonderful food, you know, is, is once we've eaten, we go around the table and we begin to talk about what we're thankful for. And sometimes, depending on your situation, you may have to look for something that you're thankful for. Just like, you know, when you're on a diet and you go to a restaurant and you're scanning that menu and trying to figure out what can I eat with this diet that I'm on. No, some of you are shaking your head. Yeah, I, I read a meme just yesterday that said that a true optimist is somebody who starts a diet Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, not going to happen. Second Chronicles. Let's look over at 2 Chronicles because I wanna, what I want to do this morning is I want to take you through kind of a few scenarios in the Bible that deal with thanksgiving, deal with a heart and an attitude of gratitude. So here in 2 Chronicles, this is Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, and he finds out that there are three armies, three different nations, they've all banded together with one gigantic army, and they want to war against Israel. And so he finds this out, but he not only finds out that they want to, he finds out that they're already on their way. And so what he does is he, he gets terrified when he hears about it. And so he tells everyone in the nation, hey guys, let's all fast and let's all pray together. 
and let's seek God's face. And so in verse six, he begins to pray. And he says, oh Lord God, our ancestors. Sorry guys. All right, here we go, yeah. He prays, oh Lord, God of our ancestors, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when, uh, when your people Israel arrived? You did not give this land forever to the descendants. Did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friends Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity such as war, plague, or famine, we can come and stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us and you will hear us and you will rescue us. This is important because what they're doing is they, they are recognizing that they're showing God we know our history. We know what the word of God says back here. We know what was promised. We know Uh, And we understand that. In fact, let me read this to you. Isaiah 43 verse 26 says this. It says, put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. What does that mean? Is that God wants us to bring his word to him and put him in remembrance of what he said. Not that he needs to be put in remembrance of what he said. Because he doesn't. But he needs us to show him that we know what his word says. When we know what his word says, then we have something to stand on. We have something concrete. We have a a firm foundation to build upon. And so just like a lawyer will bring precedent, a lawyer will go back and and will look at other cases that are similar to the case that's being tried, and they'll bring the precedent, what happened in this case, what was ruled before the judge, and say, you know, in this case, this is what happened. We're doing the same thing with the Word of God. This is what Jehoshaphat is doing, is he's saying, Lord, remember when? I remember that when they dedicated this temple, they said, if we are ever faced with war, or with pestilence, or any of these things, that we can come to you and that you would hear our prayer. How, I mean, what kind of a confidence builder is that for us as Christians? That we can come to him and that he will hear. And then in verse 10, it says, now see what these armies are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt, so they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us. We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you. Man, what a great statement to hang on your mirror. I do not know what to do, but I am looking to you. Maybe you're raising a teenager. And you're going, Lord, I do not know what to do. I'm looking to you. He has all the answers. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter what you're going through. He has all the answers. Aren't you thankful? And so it says in verse 14, that suddenly the spirit of the Lord comes on Jehaziel. Jehaziel says this in verse 15. He says, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by the mighty army for the battle is not yours, but God's. Man, I feel like we need to say that. The battle is not ours, it's God's. Man, I, I get excited about that one. Verse 16, he said, tomorrow, march out against them. Verse 17, but when... 
I'm sorry, but you will not even need to fight. Take up your positions, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord that's with you. Man, sometimes we just need to solidify ourselves and look straight ahead when we're faced with situations, circumstances. I'll never forget my dad. My dad had a 1971 Dodge Challenger. It was my favorite car growing up. Yeah, I mean, it had the mag wheels. It was beautiful. And, you know, of course, it drove like an old car. Had that loose steering. Remember that? And so I remember one time I was 15 and a half, and my dad did did something that was horrible to me. He, he gave that car to my sister because I wanted that car. <laughs> he gave it to my sister. And so she loved it. And uh, it was great. And so no hard feelings there. But anyway, it was parked in the driveway and my dad had the Plymouth. Remember those big Plymouths? I mean, the boats, the four-door Plymouths. And he had one parked out and and that was the one I got to drive. It had holes in the muffler, so it sounded cool when you were driving down the street. And so I, I asked Dad, can I back out the, the Challenger? He wanted me to move the Challenger. I said, will you let me do it? Will you let me do it? And so I was so excited. So I got in the Challenger, and I'm backing up. And as I'm turning, I have to back out this way, and here's this Plymouth sitting here. I got to back out like this. And when, when I hit that, the, uh, the drain... With the front tires, that steering wheel just spun on me. And so I came into the Plymouth and I hit that back door. Well, I thought I'd hit the brake, but I hit the gas. <laughs> and then I dented the second door. So, but they still opened and closed. But I remember my dad. I, I thought, oh my word. I just pulled forward enough so I could get out of the vehicle. And I just started crying. And I ran in the house. And I thought, my dad is going to kill me. I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. And my dad comes in and talk about standing still, see the salvation of the Lord. He was not moved. But what happened? I thought, dad, I I just remember looking at him going, you're not going to kill me. He told me a story about how he did the same thing to his uncle's truck. And I, I was so blown away by his compassion and his love. So I don't know why that made me think of that. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. All right, verse 18. It says, Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. This is so important because what they are doing is they are giving thanks before they see the victory. They are giving thanks before they see the victory. Did you catch that? Back in the 1800s, remember George Mueller? George Mueller had an orphanage, and the orphanage sometimes had over a thousand children in it. One morning, they had no food whatsoever. No food anywhere. And so what he did was he pulled all the children together. He pulled the staff together, and he said, we're going to pray, and we're going to thank God for his provision. And they begin to pray. They begin to thank God for, that, for, the, for the provision. No longer, I mean, no sooner than they finished the prayer, there was a knock on the door. He went to the door and there was a baker with loaves of bread and all these baked goods. And he said, 
I don't know, you guys were on my heart last night, and so I just felt like I was supposed to get up and I was supposed to bake all this for you guys. Could you use it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. And then right after him, the milkman came right behind him. The milkman's truck had broken down. And back in that time, back in the 1800s, they had no way to keep the milk from going bad, from spoiling. He gave his entire truck to the orphanage. Do you guys want the milk? Huh. When is it important to give thanks? Always. But in this situation, before or after? Before. And it's easy to give God glory when you've won the Super Bowl. What about when you're standing at the edge of the cliff looking across what looks like the Grand Canyon to you and you don't see a way to get across? What do you do? You give thanks. You give thanks. He has the answer. He has the way. Amen? So that's what they begin to do. They begin to give thanks and they begin to sing. They sang in verse 21, give thanks to the Lord. His faithfulness, his faithful love endures forever. Verse 22 says that at that very moment, so now they're singing, they're giving thanks. They've already prayed, they've given thanks and now they're singing. At that very moment, when they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting each other. They're killing one another. The two, Moab, uh, the uh, Ammon and Moab began to attack Mount Seir. And when they finished them off, they turned on each other. And so then Jehoshaphat and the men, his army, they come up on where these armies are and all they see is dead bodies all over. What would that be like for you? Knowing that you're getting ready to go to war against someone and you come up over the hill and there's nothing but dead bodies. And so they started picking up all the plunder. It took them three days to collect all the plunder. There was so much. But then what happened on the fourth day? Look at this. It says in verse 25, the king Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. There was so much, it took three days. Verse 26, sorry, I meant to take you there. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. I've always heard it put this way. When you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, keep going, right? But I'm telling you, when you get out of the valley of the shadow of death, man, move from the valley of shadow of death into the valley of blessing, the valley of thanksgiving. In fact, activate the valley of thanksgiving while you're in the valley of the shadow of death. That means you're real close to death. Begin to give thanks. God, I thank you that you're my protection. Oh, thank God. All right, now turn over to Luke 17. I want to show you another one. Luke chapter 17. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And so he's traveled through this certain area and he was going through this village. And so these 10 lepers came out and these 10 lepers began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And so as they're crying out, Jesus had compassion on them. And he looked at him and he said, go show yourself to the priest. Why did he say that? Because that was what you were supposed to do when you were healed of an illness. You were supposed to go and get examined by the priest so he could look at you. And so as these 10 lepers begin to go to the priest, they're healed, completely healed. Well, one of them turns around and he goes back to Jesus. 
And he falls to his knees and he begins to thank Jesus. He begins to thank him and to worship him and to praise him because he's healed. And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says this in verse 17. He said, we're not all 10 cleansed. So all 10 of them received their healing. He said, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Now, this is not a racist statement, okay? <laughs> just, just so you know, that's not what this is. Because what's the emphasis? The emphasis is where are the other nine? Meaning, the foreigner was one of them. The other nine must have been homeboys. Must have been Jews. They're not even coming back to think. Jesus. So, they come back. They thank him. See, thanksgiving, according to scripture, is giving credit to whom credit truly belongs. I think sometimes we become accustomed to thanks in our life. Let me give you an example. Let's say that the stars that you see at night and how beautiful they are, let's say that the stars only come out once a year, one night out of the year. We would stay up all night to get to see the, the one night of stars, wouldn't we? I mean, it would be live streamed all over the internet. It would go viral because nobody gets to see stars except one night out of the year. I remember when I lived in, in Tulsa, I used to tease people about the praying hands. They used to be out in front of the City of Faith, but now they're in front of Old Roberts University. I used to tease people and say that they clap at night, and so then the lights go off. At, but yeah, it was, <laughs> people would look at you like, really? Oh, you know. And so, but I never went and got my picture taken in front of the praying hands. I only went inside the prayer tower one time. I don't even remember what it was like. It was so long ago. Why? I, I was accustomed to it. I lived in that city, but yet I'll travel thousands of miles to go and see something I've never seen before, to go climb a mountain I've never been on before. You know what I mean? You grow accustomed to things. And what happens is appreciation begins to diminish because the thankfulness is not there. Let me give you, another, let me give you a, 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 an example from Scripture. In Numbers chapter 11, Numbers chapter 11 talks about manna. It was called manna because they didn't know what it was, and so they just named it manna, which means what is it? And, but God miraculously provided for the children of Israel in the wilderness. They're out in the middle of nowhere, and he's providing food every day for them. That's amazing. That's a huge miracle, right? And so the children of Israel, though, in verse 6, begin to complain about manna. They're just saying, you know, all we have is this manna stuff. Manna, 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 manna. That's all I get every day is I get more manna. You know, what's, what are you going to eat tomorrow? Manna. What about the day after that? Uh, more manna. And they start talking about, you know, we want me, we, we remember what it was like in Egypt to have the melons and all the different delicacies that we can have. And all we get out here is manna. What's happened? They, they are totally forgetting the miracle of what manna showing up every day 
has become. I liked, I liked what Kenneth Hagin said. He said, sometimes, he said, oftentimes people miss the supernatural because they're looking for the spectacular. Things get old, get mundane. I see that all the time. I'm looking for something new and lose appreciation and thanksgiving for what you have today. Oh, man. You've heard the world say that familiarity breeds contempt. Well, Scripture says that thanksgiving breeds appreciation. When you wake up and you're just thankful every day. Well, Phil, you don't understand. I don't have anything to be thankful about. I think you do. I think you do. I want to answer that question, but let me say this. In Deuteronomy 6, 10, and 11, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it says, so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, who not wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, who not wells which you did not dig. But then there's a warning in verse, 11, in verse 12. And the warning is, but when you come into that kind of prosperity, when you come into that place of comfort, when you come into that place where miracles happen every day and so now they're no big deal, don't forget who provides them for you. I think at times we can miss the supernatural things that God's doing in our life because we're looking for something new. We're looking for something more spectacular. All right, let's go back and answer that other question. Uh, this is one of my favorite stories. When, when I think about Thanksgiving and I see the picture of the pilgrims sitting down with the Indians and having the Thanksgiving meal, <clears throat> many people don't realize the significance of that meal. They, they, they weren't just agreeing or signing a treaty, but they don't understand the cost and, and the sacrifice that that was. See, because there, were, there was an Indian that grew up in that area where the pilgrims um, wound up making their home. He grew up there and his name was Squanto. Squanto was taken captive back in the early 1600s and he was taken to England and when he was there, he, he worked for another guy. He learned English and he became a translator. And this English guy began, he wanted to come to the new world. Squanto came with him and he translated for him. And then he let Squanto go back home. Well, when Squanto got, got back home, he got home just in time to be taken captive again. This time he was kidnapped by a captain of a ship who took him to Spain along with other people that were a part of his tribe, took them to Spain and wanted to sell them as slaves in the Spain market. So now here he is in Spain, but thank God uh, some, some Christian friars saved him. And they taught him who Jesus was. And he came into a relationship with Jesus. And then they set him free. Well, he found the guy that he used to work for. He went, actually went back to England and found the same guy that he worked with before and was able to get back 
to the United, uh, here, back to the new world. And when he got to the new world, there was a problem. A plague had happened in, the, in his tribe and they were all wiped out. They all died. And so now here are the pilgrims who have settled in their exact home. So who has an opportunity to be offended and hurt, frustrated, disappointed? Squanta. And so he was a little depressed and so he went to live with another tribe for a while, but God had other plans and God introduced him. He came with some other people that needed translation, Indian, uh, Indian chief and some people. They needed to be, you know, what they say to be translated into English. And so he acted as the translator and he met the pilgrims. And when he heard their story and he heard what they were trying to do, he was so touched. He lived with the pilgrims the rest of his life. And you know what he did? He literally saved their lives because when the pilgrims arrived, nearly half of them died the first winter. They didn't know how to farm the land. They didn't know the ins and the outs of the new world. What Squanto did was he showed them how to grow corn. And he showed them that there was this brook. And because they were having difficulty even catching fish, there was this brook that once a year, all of these fish would collect in this brook. And he showed them how to catch the fish. And the fish were important because what they had to do with many of the fish was they had to use them as, as manure to, um, to help the soil because nothing would grow otherwise. Their crops would lay dormant. And so he showed them how to survive. So now the significance of this meal takes on a whole new meaning because they're sacrificed attached to it. How do I live that way, Phil? How how can I be thankful when I've got nothing to be thankful for? Well, think about Squanto. He began to thank God for the opportunity for how he could help the pilgrims. I mean, lived with them his entire life. In fact, when he got ill and he was close to death, he was on his deathbed, he said to, to the governor, William Bradford, he said, here's, here's what I want in my lifetime. I pray, I pray to God that, he, that I could go to the Englishman's God in heaven. That was what he wanted in his life. Now, let me connect that to Paul. Over in Philippians chapter one, Paul is in prison. And he says this, he says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Thanksgiving. It's us seeing beyond ourselves and seeing what God can do in other people through us with our help. I don't understand that God chooses to use people. You know, he's God. You would think, hey, you, you can do anything. No, he chooses to work through people, through people who are yielded to him. And that's the most important thing for me is I have to yield myself 
to him so that he can use me in a way that will bless him and that will build the kingdom of God. So I want to pray for you this morning because I felt, I felt like I wanted to encourage you this morning in Thanksgiving. And I'd like to take communion together as well. So if you have your communion handy, if you don't have any communion, just raise your hand and our ushers can get you some communion. But if you would, if you would take the bread. I'm so thankful. Many times I feel redundant when I talk to God and and I begin to give thanks and I wake up in the morning and begin to pray and I begin to thank Him and and I feel like I'm just being redundant in Thanksgiving because I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I have clothes to wear, that I have food to eat, that I have family that I love and and love me back, that God has blessed me and given me better than I deserve. So thankful that God doesn't give you what you deserve. (laughs) I mean, how terrible that would be. And he could rightly do it, but he chooses not to. He chooses to bless us. In fact, God is... God is like looking for opportunities to bless us. He's looking for opportunities to empower us with his grace. The Bible says that when we come into his presence, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is what opens the door. It postures us, it puts us in that place of humility so that we can enter into his gates with full confidence. Mm. Wow. So, Father, we just thank you for this bread. We thank you, Lord, for what you did, what you've done, and what you're continuing to do in our lives. Lord, we live in remembrance of your body that was broken for us. We thank you, Lord, we choose to live in remembrance of it always and to constantly live in the thanksgiving of your body that was broken for us so that we could be healed. Lord, we receive it with thanksgiving now in Jesus' name. blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of sins thank you Lord God we're just so grateful so grateful that we have life and life more abundantly Lord that you cared enough about us to come back and get us that what the enemy tried to steal you took back and we thank you Lord that you're coming again Lord that we're 
we're temporary, uh, we're, we're here on this earth temporarily because we're citizens of heaven. And we thank you, Lord, for what you've done, for what you're doing. Lord, we thank you for your salvation, for your saving grace. We live in remembrance of it. And we're here this morning to honor you by receiving 